21st century. Well, good evening. Thank you guys for letting Basecamp come and invade your weekly Wednesday service. It'd be an understatement to say we're excited to be here. Right, guys? I hope you don't mind us being a little loud. I, I think I preach a little loud. They respond really loudly. So if I say a good word, you can say, or, you can say amen, you can say preach, you can say that's for my neighbor. Unless you're married to your neighbor, maybe that's not a good answer. Oh man, we are so excited to be in here. Doesn't it feel good? It's like a family service. I love it. God always, he always refers to himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God's a generational God, and I just believe there's blessing when, where the generations come together. Amen? There's just something powerful. All day we've been praying, and we just really believe God's going to do something cool tonight. Um, youth group's amazing. Base camp's amazing. I wanted to tell one story from last week. Last Wednesday, we had a student who came for her very first time. Her name's Mandy. She's here tonight. Where's she at? Right there, stand up. Come on, give it up for Mandy. Last Wednesday, she walked into base camp. She was about an hour early. And so the, the, the worship team was still doing their sound check and their worship practice. And she just sat in a seat and watched. And you can sit down. She just sat in her seat and watched the worship practice. And, and it was her first time to base camp. And the spirit of Jesus just came on her so powerfully that... Um, I saw her about half an hour later, and she came up to me, and she said, I, I want to give my life to Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, so God is doing amazing things. We love it. It's a party in there on Wednesday nights. Like, we, we don't hold back. We love Jesus a lot. Right, guys? And so we're just excited to be here. You all look beautiful. All of you. Every one of you. Who said that? I see you. I can see everything. Watch what you say. Oh, man. Are you guys ready for tonight? Okay. Let's just get started. I can't wait any longer. If you have your Bible, you can open to Acts chapter 9, verse 1. If you don't have your Bible, it will be up on the screen. I'm going to read a chunk, 20 verses. So if you didn't do your devotions today, you're in the right place. Because we're going to cover about three days worth of devotions right here in this, in this reading. Here we go. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way or were Christians, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. How about that encounter? I am Jesus. Whoa. All right, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. 
Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Hello. Three days no eating or drinking? Ugh. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you, as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength because everyone needs a good meal. Amen. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. That's the end of our story. Say amen. All right, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for tonight, God. Thank you for Paul's story and the way he came into relationship with you. Thank you, Paul, you wrote later that to follow you as you follow Christ. And tonight, Lord, I pray we could take a look at at Paul's story and we could draw parallels to our stories and learn how to love you more and follow you better and be more like you because that's what we're here for. That's the goal of life on earth. It's to be more like you. So Jesus, today, through your word and through your Holy Spirit, would you speak to us in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I remember one of my favorite gifts I ever got. Does anybody have a favorite gift? I remember when I was 14 years old, uh, one of my favorite, because I couldn't drive a car, one of my favorite things to do was to ride my bike everywhere. Like I rode my bicycle to friends' houses. I rode it to the gas station. I rode my bicycle to the basketball court. I rode my bike everywhere. But by the time I turned 14, biking around was too much work. And so I would see these kids riding these electric scooters, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I need one of those. And so I went to my mom and my dad, and I was like, mom and dad, like, my legs don't work anymore, and I can't bike. I need you to buy me one of those scooters. And they're like, absolutely not. You need the exercise. The bike we bought you like two years ago, it's still basically new. Ride that thing. And I was like, but mom. Come on, students, you ever had that? Come on, but mom. And it was always my mom because my dad was a wall. My mom was a chair, but my dad was a wall. My, my dad, if I tell him he says no, and that means no. But my mom, it's like, she says no. And you know you could go back to her in a few hours, she'll say no. A few days, she'll say no. But after a few weeks, she'll say maybe, which still means no. But then after a few months, you can talk mom into it. And so I went to mom and I was like, mom, 
I really need this scooter. Like all the cool kids have one and my legs don't work. She's like, your legs work, son. I was like, they don't work. Well, eventually my birthday came around. And for my birthday, my mom, who wears the pants in our family, <laughs> kidding. Dad, are you, wait, my dad was actually going to come. I hope he's not, oh. I hope he doesn't watch this. Oh, no! Dang it! I need water. <laughs> Service is over. Students, you can find your parents. <clears throat> so for my birthday, for my 15th birthday, my parents caved and they eventually got me this. It's called a go-ped. Are you familiar with a go-ped? So the go-ped is a gasoline scooter. You pour gasoline in it. It can go really fast. It's faster than the ones you plug in the wall that are electric. It's, it's gas-powered. Whether they're legal or not, I don't know. But it was awesome. And... Uh, and so I remember just riding that thing everywhere. Like that next season of my life was so exhilarating. Like because you can't go 40 miles per hour on a bike. I mean, it had to be a pretty steep hill. But on this go-ped, I don't have to pedal. I don't have to work. I can just fly. And so I love that thing. And I remember my best friend from, from middle school, he came over one day. It was about three months after I'd had the scooter in. And he said, bro, I have this brilliant idea. He's the kind of kid that when he has a brilliant idea, it's not really brilliant. It means, like, you probably shouldn't do it. And students, if you have a friend like that, you need to cut that relationship real quick. He came over. He's like, I have a brilliant idea. And I was like, what is it? He's like, lately, like, the last three months, you have this gas scooter. You ride it, and I have to bike alongside of you, which is awful. He's like, but the idea I have is what if we both rode on the scooter? Like, same time, like, you can scoot up to the front. There'll be room for me on the back. Yeah, it'll go a little slower, but we can do it. I don't have to bike. And I looked at him, and I was like, brilliant. I don't have to wait for you any longer because you're so slow on that bike. And so we start riding. We start riding, and at first it's going slow. I'm barely touching the gas because I'm like, oh, my goodness. This is, like, the smallest movements, and we're, like, we're going. And we get on this, this straightaway, going to the grocery store, King Supers, popcorn is on our mind. Going, popcorn, going, popcorn. Peter's right behind me, going, popcorn, going, popcorn. And he goes, all right, bro, full speed ahead. And I was like, yes! And so we go. I gas that thing as fast as I can go, and we are flying. Like, there's a little decline. Like, we are, we're zooming. And, and, and I'm holding that thing as fast as I can, and he's in the back yelling, full speed ahead! I'm going. I'm like, I am. And I'm looking back, which is super dangerous. And then there's a rock in the middle of our, of our bike path. And so, yeah, you know what's coming. So I, I swerved to the left, and I missed that rock like a boss. And the scooter goes out from under us. My best friend who's in the back... I fall forward, he falls on me, and begins riding me like I was a sled. <laughs> Across the pavement, yeah. I still have scars from that. But it was worth it. 
the reason that we fell, yeah, is because I, 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 I turned the thing quickly. There was a rock in the middle of our path, and there was way too much weight on the scooter. And, and as I was preparing for tonight, I felt like God just gave me this simple title for the talk tonight. It's called Full Speed Ahead. Full speed ahead. I, I feel like there are some things in our lives, maybe it's weight that are, that's, that's on us like a burden. Maybe there's a rock or something that's in your path. God's just calling us to go full speed ahead. He's calling us to go full speed ahead. And I feel like we can pull some principles out of Saul who becomes Paul's story to help us run towards God more fully. Sound good? Okay, so here we go. Point number one. Don't let your past hold you back from what God has for you moving forward. Students, if you have your notebook or your smartphone and you're taking notes, will you hold it up in the air? Let's see what we're working with. Look at this, man. Oh, man. I, that's why I love you guys. I wouldn't trade this for anything. Always ready, taking notes. Oh, man, it's beautiful. Don't let your past hold you back from what God has for you moving forward. Paul, in our story, he has a past. He has a past. He, when we read about him in Acts chapter 9, he is a rabbi, he's a religious leader, he's extremely influential. There's a number of really good things that Paul has going for him when we read about him in Acts chapter 9. Some really good things. There are equally as many bad things that Paul has been doing when we read about him in Acts chapter 9. He's been the author of numerous murders. He's threatening to kill every Christian that exists. He's dangerous, he's mean, he's using words, he's using uh, aggression. I mean, he is, he's mean. So he has a good past and a bad past, just like us all. Every one of us in this room, we have something good from our past, we have something bad from our past, we have something ugly from our past. Now, a lot of times, we spend a lot of time looking and, and remembering what has happened in the past. Paul had a hard time coming to Jesus because of what he knew from his past. He knew the Torah. He knew the law. He knew the rituals, the religion, the traditions. He knew all the things, but he didn't know the man. He had this past. And if we spend too much time dwelling on the past, we will never be able to walk into what God has for us in the future. Where are our thoughts spending time? Where are your thoughts spending time? Are you constantly thinking about what you did in the past or what happened in the past or what that person did to you in the past? Or are you thinking about what God's about to do for you in the future? What are you thinking about? Where is your thought life? In Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 through 14, I love this verse because this is Paul writing. So Paul, our main character in this entire story, now writes these letters after the fact, and he says this. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I forget what is behind. This is Paul. He said, I forget what has happened in the past. I let go of it. I forget about it. 
I feel like God's just telling us today as a church and as a youth group, we have to delete some things from our past. Back in the old days, there were these things called a VCR. <laughs> Hello. In the VHS, this film, the film could only hold so much, so much stuff. At a certain point, it got full. And you either had to buy a new one or delete it. Same thing with your cell phone. Anybody have an iPhone? The most frustrating thing I think with an iPhone is that, is that time where, okay, it's a Kodak moment, right? Like the kids are looking good, everything's staged and set up. You go to take the picture on your iPhone and it sends up this like error, like not enough space, please delete. You know what I'm talking about? Have you seen that? Like not enough room. What do you have to do? You have to delete it. I feel like God was saying, hey, there's some things that have happened in your past. You have to delete it. There's some people who said things to you. God's saying, delete it. Don't let that voice influence you moving forward. Don't let the way you got fired from that job influence you moving forward. Don't let people's opinions dictate who you will be moving forward. Delete it. We have to clear some room on the hard drive of our soul so we can make more room for the voice of God to speak into our life. We have to delete some space on the hard drive of our soul so that God can begin rewriting a new chapter. There, are, there is a new thing God wants to do in your life, everyone in this room. In Habakkuk it says, I'm about to do a big thing, a new thing. You wouldn't believe it even if I told you. I feel prophetically like that is what God is speaking over us today. Even if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. So just start deleting so that when I do it, you'll have some space. In basketball, um, basketball is a rhythm game. It's a rhythm game. So you, you get in a rhythm. If it's a good rhythm, things go really good. Like when you're hot, you're hot. And when you're not in a rhythm, you're, you're cold, you're real cold. Like it may be all night. It may be a week before you make a shot. And so what coaches try to teach is this concept of short-term memory. Essentially, like you, you miss a shot, you move on from it. You can't think about it because the more time you spend thinking on the miss, the more impact it will have on your next shot. You have to have short-term memory. And I, I just believe in this walk as Christians in our faith, we have to have sort of a, a short-term memory. Something may happen. Maybe it's bad. Maybe it's negative. Maybe it's a tragedy. And it's okay to sulk and be sad for a moment. But the Bible says joy will come in the morning. It doesn't say joy will come next year or in a decade. It says that, yeah, though sorrow may last for a night, joy is coming in the morning. We had to have this short-term memory where we say, yeah, God, you did that before. Even if it's good things. Yeah, you were faithful in the past. You're going to be more faithful in the future. Yeah, you healed me in the past. You're going to heal me more in the future. You're going to heal my friends. You're going to heal my, my family. You saved me. Yes, I love it. Now I want to see salvation come to my school. I'm redeemed. Now let's work on redeeming others. We have to keep moving. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18 through 19, this is God speaking. God says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness 
in streams in the wasteland. That deserved an amen. That's a good word. That's the Lord speaking. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? The new thing that's happening in your life, you may not see it with your eye, and that's because it's beneath the soil. Before a really beautiful thing blossoms, it has to do a work beneath the soil. Where it's not seen, where it's hidden. But it doesn't mean that nothing's going on. Something very real is happening underneath the surface. And in the same way in our lives, there is something happening. God has planted seeds. He is, he is doing a work, whether you can see it or not, whether you can perceive it or not. Seeds are being planted. And eventually, they'll sprout. What's going to sprout from your seed? How you treat that seed in this season will determine how it blooms in the next. How you treat the seed, are you going to fertilize it? Are you going to spend time with the Lord in this season? On your own time, not in church. I don't know if you know this or not, but, but the best moments with the Lord do not happen corporately. They can't. They can't. The best things in any relationship happen in this intimate one-on-one moment. Always. That's humans, that's the Lord, that's everything. How are you treating the seeds that God's planting in this season? How are you treating them? Are you, are you watering them? Are you giving them sun? God's doing a new thing. He's doing a big thing. We cannot allow what's happened in the past to hold us back from what God wants to do moving forward. I remember one of the hardest things I ever had to do in my walk with Jesus was give up my friends. I, 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 if you don't know my story, most of the students do, but for the rest of you, I didn't grow up in church and and so I, during high school, I had developed a bad pattern of falling into peer pressure. And so I, I was going to parties and hanging with the wrong crowds. And I had created this group of friends, my crew, my closest friends, were not good people. And you probably heard it said, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And at that rate, my future was bleak. Like it was headed down the wrong road. And I remember I came to the Lord towards the end of high school. And, and then right after high school, I went on my very first mission trip. I went to Belize, and on that mission trip, it was a bunch of people my age who, who loved Jesus and were helping people, and I loved it. It was really cool. And so I remember getting on the plane to fly home, and I thought, God, I pray that someone from my team is sitting next to me because I don't want to talk to a stranger. And because God is God, he doesn't put me next to a friend, and he doesn't put me next to a stranger. There's actually nobody sitting in the seat next to me. And so I'm, I'm on the window seat, and I'm just having this talk with the Lord. And I'm like in tears thinking about all that he did over the course of that trip. And then I hear him say like, okay, well, in my, my prayer was, God, I want what happened on that trip to be my life moving forward. And I heard him say so clearly, well, what are you going to do about it? Like I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. How are you going to position yourself to be in that place? And I was sitting on that, on that plane looking out the window. And I felt like God said, you need to give me your friends. Like the people you're hanging out with, they will derail you. The Bible says that, that uh, bad people will corrupt good character. Bad company will corrupt good character. It's just the way that it works. And, and so I was flying on that flight and I thought, man, the, the thing I hold closest to me is my friends. Like that would be the hardest thing I have to give up. And I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was calling me to give up those friends. 
And so in that next season, I just remember God, I stopped hanging out with them one by one. Like I, I didn't tell them that. I just pulled myself away from them. And it, it was this weird thing that each friend I left, God would put a new friend into my life. But not only would he put one friend, it was weird. He would honestly put like two friends to every one friend I'd leave. It was like the craziest thing. Like I was so worried because I like to be liked and I like to have people. And so I was leaving these friends. But every time I leave it, God would fill me and give me more. And then I'd leave some more friends. God would fill me and give me more. And then I'd leave some more friends and God would fill me and give me more. In our lives in the exact same way, we have to, there are some things that we need to rid ourselves of. So that God can give us more. He doesn't just want to give us what we had in the past. He wants to give us abundance. He wants to give us more than what we had. Okay, beautiful. Number two. Number one, don't let your past hold you back from what God has for you moving forward. And number two, don't let scales keep you from seeing Jesus for who he really is. Don't let scales keep you from seeing Jesus for who he really is. In Acts chapter 9 verse 8 it said, Saul got up from the ground... But when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Paul has these scales that are on his eyes. And they keep him for, from seeing Jesus for who he really is. It keeps him, in that story, it keeps him from seeing everything. And I was, I was praying through this and I was thinking like, God, what does that even mean? How does that apply to my life? I felt like he said, yeah, obviously you don't have fish scales on your eyes. But he said so seriously, like, there are absolutely other things that are scales blocking you from seeing me for who I really am. I was like, well, what do you mean? And he said, there are circumstances. There are, there are weights. There are sin. There's temptation. There are trials. There are people. There are things in your life that are acting as scales and keeping you from seeing me for who I really am. And I felt like God said, yeah, there's scales on, on, on all of us. I feel like they're blinders. They're these blinders that keep us from seeing Jesus. And the world wants to put them on us. People want to put them on us. At, at school, students, your friends, they want to put these blinders on your eyes. And they seem harmless. They seem innocent. Because they disguise themselves, but they keep you from seeing Jesus for who he really is. Oh man, be, be popular, be cool. Oh man, everyone's doing that thing. Everyone's drinking, everyone's partying. No, no, that's just a scale keeping you from seeing Jesus for who he really is. Oh man, what people think about you, it matters. No, 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 that's just a fear of man, it's just a scale. Keeping you from seeing Jesus for who he really is. Popularity, that's a scale. Pride, it's a scale. A lot of them are subtle. Pride doesn't come in the form of like, oh, I'm, I'm the king of the earth. I'm the coolest person ever. Subtly, it creeps in. These scales subtly creep in. And over time, they begin to compromise what you view and how you view Jesus. And so tonight, I'm going to have my students come up. There's ten of them. You know who you are. You can come up now, and James, you can come up on the keyboard. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, as they come up, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. The author of Hebrews is writing and he says there are weights and there are sins that trap you and entangle you. And they keep you from running the race God has set before you. But then he gives us the solution. He says the solution is to keep your eyes on Jesus. I love the parallel between what we just talked about with scales and the author of Hebrews' solution for running this race with full speed ahead. How do we run the race? By fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's how we run this race. Tonight, I, I had our students come up here and, and we've made these signs. We really feel like God wants to, to do a powerful work tonight and, and they're being real vulnerable by being up here and being sort of a sermon illustration. But we made these signs and, and this one's mine. It says, my scales were anxiety and fear. When I was 19 years old, I had anxiety like you wouldn't believe. Like the, they wanted, I was meeting with a counselor. Doctors were trying to prescribe me things. And it was terrible. Like it was bad. I had these panic attacks where I literally, driving a car, thought I was going to die. And I remember, I think I, I was sitting in here for sure. I can't remember where in the room, but, but even after all the things the doctors had said and the counselor had said, I remember encountering Jesus so powerfully in this, in this exact room. Anxiety, it literally broke off of my life in a way like I can't even describe with words. I can't describe it because like it had so entangled me and, and bound me like and nothing would break it. Like the, the medicine would work for a bit but then it'd come back. It, it was terrible. But then I encountered Jesus and something changed. Tonight, our students are going to share some of their scales. And so we're going to start with Miss Rachel. Go for it, Rachel. My scales were sickness and fear. Um, my scales were pornography and self-hate. My scales were swearing and unworthiness. My scales were pride and swearing. My scales were contentment and lukewarmness. My scales were lack of boldness. My scales were depression and hopelessness. My, skill, my scales were fear of man. Paul had real tangible scales on his eyes. We don't have any of those, but we all have things that are blocking and hindering us from seeing Jesus for who he really is. And tonight, it's time to come face to face with those things. God wants to break them. God wants freedom. 
I've got a slide. We can throw that up on the screen. This is, this is the story. These are our scales. I'm going to read them one more time. Our scales, this is the people up here on the stage. Our scales were anxiety, fear, swearing, unworthiness, pornography, self-hate, sickness, fear of man, contentment, lukewarmness, lack of boldness, pride, depression, hopelessness. Those were our scales. But each one of us up here has this moment that we can very clearly remember. Similar to Paul. My scales were. But then. You can flip your signs. Yeah. That's the cue. But then. But then I encountered Jesus. My life, it looked like this, but then I encountered Jesus. Paul's life, it looked like this, but then he encountered Jesus. An encounter with Jesus, it can break your anxiety, it can break your fear, it can break your hopelessness, it can break your discouragedness, it can break anything. Anything. These eight students up here with myself, we've experienced and encountered God in that way. And tonight, we want to close. The band's going to come up. We want to close with some worship. And all we really want to do is create a space for everyone in this room to encounter Jesus. So I don't know whether it's your past or if it's a scale, but something's got to go tonight. Jesus said every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. And yeah, he's talking about people. But it also means your, your, your weaknesses and your shortcomings and your trials and your circumstances. They all have to bow to the name of Jesus. And tonight is that night. We don't have to wait another moment. Tonight, in this place, in this moment, God wants to meet with us face to face. He wants to have some but then moments with you. But then. But then. But then. If you'd stand with me. Jesus, as we go back into worship. We just take our rightful authority over anything that would come against us and you. We take authority over anxiety. We take authority over depression. We take authority over anxiety. Everything, God, everything that is not of you, we take authority of it. And we say it's got to go right now. And we ask that as those things are bound up there, you would begin to loose the fruits of your spirit. That joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That those things would be released in this space. God, we create a space and an atmosphere for you to move however you want to move. So as we go back into worship, I, I want us just to find our own space. I want, it may be uncomfortable, but I want you to step out of your seat. I want you just to find your own space where you can get alone with God. Where he can begin to speak to you. I, I believe he wants to take us to a deep place tonight.
a deep place. And so find your spot, get close to the Lord, and let Him just begin to speak and rework and write some things on your heart.